Hey everyone and welcome to Developer Tea. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and today is the second part of my interview with Cap Watkins. If you missed the first part, make sure you jump back and listen to it before you listen to the second part. As I mentioned on the first episode, uh, Cap is the VP of Design at BuzzFeed and we talk all about different things related to collaboration between designers and developers. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed interviewing Cap. As always, all of the relevant links will be in the show notes, which you can find at spec.fm. I hope you enjoy the second part of my interview with Cap Watkins. There is something to be said for like, how do we talk to each other, right? Like we have to have some kind of shared vocabulary and allow people to be, to be experts in what they're experts at. But how do we you know, how can we get to the place where we're doing all of those things with relatively small teams? I think that's the big problem, right, is the size of the team. Because when you have a marketing channel for, you know, a massive company has people who are dedicated to figuring out how to get conversion rates based on advertising, and they have it down to a science, you know. Um, And that may be true for even teams of, of BuzzFeed size. Uh, there are a lot of teams like the team I'm on. We don't. We just don't have. We have a a guy <laughs> who is doing some marketing work and and marketing research and you know compiling analytics and trying to gain insights from it. But you know teams of that size, we all have to be aware of the things that marketing is aware of. Yeah, totally. I and I I actually feel bad that we lose that as we get bigger. I think that's a that's sad. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's an, an, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, but I think, uh, like as companies get bigger, what I, what I've witnessed is like more specialization and more, again, like it's not so much siloing. No, no one's trying to keep people out. It's just, it becomes, uh, imp- impractical. <laughs> like it becomes impractical to try yeah. to like communicate all of that stuff to everyone. I mean, when a company gets a certain size, like the entire company isn't moving together. It's actually not like that anymore. It's like, you know, we break it down. Individual teams. Right. And so now you have marketing broken down into smaller teams alongside product broken down into smaller teams, design, engineering, whatever. Um, And maybe those things can stay in sync. I guess that's what I am trying to push on, like with the product designers and like also coding and like like, trying to broaden instead of narrow. Because I get a lot of comments about like, well, when are you just going to have visual designers? And when are you just going to have UX designers? And I'm like, hopefully never. You know, I I really hope that like we can become more general, you know, and, and like just push this generalist thing even as we get bigger. Um, but uh, we'll stay tuned on how that works out for us. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think uh, I think people demonize the word general a little bit too much. Oh, sure. Because that that word assumes that you aren't becoming an expert at something, right? Like it assumes that to be general you can't be a specialist at the same time yeah and i just i don't think that's true yeah i mean i, I feel like the people that say that are the specialists <laughs> i mean i really do the ones who decided not to be generalists. i think so i mean the people that i talk to they're like well you know a designer who's a generalist isn't as good a visual designer as a visual designer and i'm like well that's actually not my experience <laughs> you know like right. actually the mm-hmm. best designers visual and otherwise that i've met are like general product designers and like everybody has different things they're really great at and things they're not as great at right i mean like i feel like i'm pretty strong like front-end person and like pretty strong ux person visual design i've i'm okay like i'm i'm okay not great and that's okay right like like the nice thing about generalists is like they fit together in similar ways to if you did hire a bunch of specialists so like 
I am best paired with someone who is very strong visual designer and, you know, also strong at one of the other things too, right? Like we like, it's still extremely possible to be extremely good at things. I think you have more opportunity to be good, extremely good at more things if you're doing more things. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a broad net kind of thing. And and I think the the people who argue against the journalist concept is, or their their thinking, or maybe their part of their theory is that you know these things don't overlap, right? Or they don't feed each other. Like to be a good developer, you know, to be the best developer, I need some kind of sense of of design. I need some kind of sense of visual design, right? I need some kind of sense of user experience. And I don't, I don't think I can be a specialist developer without those things. Yeah, I mean, I've even seen at Amazon, I was a UX, I was technically considered a UX designer. And we had a visual design team, which was separate from us. And I mean, we sat together, but it was a different thing. And I would actually get kind of pushed back on if I delivered anything that remotely resembled something polished. I was like, why? why was, well, that was just, so, this was the way it was, whatever, right? So whatever. That this is the way they've chosen to build their organization. I, I was, you know, I had no control over that, so I let it go. Sure, sure, yeah. But the hard part was when I would hand over my wireframes, that like with a lot of UX stuff in it, with a lot of flows in it, with a lot of like very specific. I mean, even like touch target sizes. I was pretty. I needed to be pretty explicit. You wind up seeing these visual designs that like, just like had nothing. Like, would just drop things like touch target sizing and just drop out things like type size like legible type size and you're just going like mm. what happened you know and it's it's and it's not that they're bad visual designers right that's it's actually not true what, what's true is like they have no idea because they weren't a part of the ux process and they didn't come up with the ux alongside us that like they have no idea why we made the decisions we made or what decisions are important and mm-hmm. when you are like throwing stuff over a wall or handing it off to someone else to take the next specialist step with it, like there's always, you're always going to lose stuff in that translation always. And it's going to be super painful and you're going to spend a lot of time trying to explain it and you may never get there. And you're going to wind up with something that's like not as good as it could be because neither of you, and you don't understand why they're making the decisions they're making either. Right. That's the thing. And it goes both ways. So like that person would make those decisions and we would talk about them and I would have no, I, I could not unpack like why those decisions got made. He was like this. He'd be like, Oh, well it just looks really cool. And it's like, great. (laughs) Great. It's illegible. You know, it's like, and we have this, we have this thing going back and forth and like, I, it would have been much easier if we'd been working on the exact same thing at the same time and gone through the UX together, gone through the visual design of it together and like come out the other side. And even if one of us was stronger at one than the other, like maybe I take on like more of the heavy UX work because I'm better at that, but this person still contributes to the UX work, right? So at the end of the day, they're bought in, first of all, and they don't try to change it. And like, then this, you know what I mean? Because they've been a part of the process. Yeah. And then like, then I'm more satisfied with like, I'll no matter what be more satisfied with the visual design because like this person will have taken into consideration everything that we've done so far because he's done it with us. And so this, this sort of collaboration stuff and this same thing with developers too is like, and that's why we push transparency and collaboration designers and code developers in design because like, at the end of the day, if everybody's bought in before you start building or designing a single thing, everything is better. Um, and everybody's much, much happier. And the product is like incredible, like just like heads and tails better than it would have been. Yeah. I mean, people are not good at, at actually having good inputs into other processes, right? So like what you said, I think is, is right on point that when you try to transfer that stuff over to somebody else, there's going to be a lot that is missed, right? Or maybe even totally ignored, 
which is what you were saying about like the illegibility, it's it's not enough to do you know A through C and then expect somebody to know where to pick up sure. and and to and because basically what we have to do and this especially falls on developers a lot of the time because you know the typical process is. Uh, you know, in a lot of agencies, you know, we do like a discovery thing where we figure out what it is that we're going to build and then we design it and then we execute the build, right? And that's, there are, you can make that work. It's possible to make that work. The issues that arise happen when you go from discovery to design and then from design to development, there's a lot of lossy, you know, like you're saying, translation between the two because it's like, well, you didn't think about the 404 page. Or yeah. you didn't think about this particular viewport size or, uh, you know, whatever. And eventually you end up collaborating, right? right? Either you end up collaborating or the developer does the designer's job or the designer does the uh, discovery person's job, whatever you want to call that person, right. content team. You know, that, that creates this situation where you have a little bit of animosity because it's like, you handed me something that I can't do, right? Mm-hmm. Or you handed me something that is, isn't, all the way thought out and it doesn't become all the way thought out until launch. Right, right, right. And I think uh, it's better for that to happen from the start, right? Like, which is what you're saying is transparency from the beginning, having people involved from the beginning. That is, you know, the thinking out process starts at the beginning and you start answering those questions about legibility at the very, at the very beginning of the process. Yeah. I think, it also helps, this is a really interesting thing, but I think it helps with retention. I think if you're happy at the end of a thing you did, you know, like if you believe... Right, rather than resentful. Right, if you believe in the thing you just shipped or you just had to build or you just designed, you know, I mean, like, that's huge. Like, that's so huge. I think, I honestly think developers get the worst of this because it is like, they do get kind of thought of as like resources and design gets thrown over the wall at them and that's like a huge bummer. And I feel like mm-hmm. I just can't, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, I mean, it, it sounds awful. <laughs> I can tell you. It sounds really bad. I mean, I can't, I, I, you know, I've, I hope to have never done that so much um, in my career. <laughs> I'm sure I've done it at times and I feel, I apologize if you're out there listening. Um, <laughs> that must be so crummy, you know? And then at the end, even if you had, even if you did push back as a developer, even if you did like somehow get some of the changes that you thought were important, like you still don't feel good. You know, I mean, and neither did the person you just argued with, you know, over the thing that they thought was complete, right? And so, like, I don't know. I just, the more that people, again, we keep talking about this, like smashing these things together, like getting them closer, like getting them earlier, uh, getting getting together earlier just feels like it's it's so easy to do and it actually reduces the time it takes to do things and it leaves everybody, like, kind of pumped at the end, which which is never a bad thing, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and and there's nothing wrong with somebody having, you know, creative control for periods of that time, right? Like sometimes, you know, call it a cave or whatever, but you need to go into your space and not be bothered for whatever, a couple hours to iterate through something. You don't need somebody standing over your shoulder all the time. So I think there's a balance that has to be struck. Yeah, yeah. But definitely more collaboration from where the industry in large, I guess, currently is, would be better. Absolutely. So switching gears entirely to this this hiring conversation, 
because there's so many people who listen to this show and there's actually a lot of you who would be considered a designer at BuzzFeed right now. And Cap talks about this uh, on design details and also I think in a couple of blog posts, but the designers that Cap hires are the typical unicorn. I hit. How much do you cringe when you hear it, Cap? I'm not calling myself that, so I don't care what we call them. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, now, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. I, I kind of. I think it's dumb. <laughs> I don't, yeah. But it's not a it's <laughs> whatever. Not, it's, it's a designer it's who can yeah. who can do CSS and HTML, right? Yeah, totally. And also, just for what's worth, there are worse words you could call somebody than a unicorn. I think. I mean, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it's true. I, you know, we can cringe all we want, but it's it's kind of it's kind of nice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, so. We'll, we'll stick with it. Unicorn, why not? Yeah, sure. Let's just be shameless. Unicorn. YOLO, as we would the, say at BuzzFeed. Hey, why not? Uh, that, that is the kind of you know, designer that, that BuzzFeed, is hi- BuzzFeed is hiring. So if you are a front-end developer and you're looking for jobs, don't close yourself off to the possibility of being fit for a designer position. You may not see yourself that way, but that very well could be a great fit for you without you even realizing it right so tell me what you at buzzfeed are looking for in that position the young designer the the junior position sure um and maybe it's not young but yeah just junior yeah (laughs) i'm yeah that's a good question i so i I mentioned resilience earlier i feel like it's a really big deal um uh like a lot comes down to that i think especially when you're more when, when you're like earlier in your career um, mm-hmm. I'll avoid the word younger as well. Uh, like earlier in your career or been working alone for a long time. Like I did that for a long time. And I think I thought it's really funny. I, I worked at startups for the first five years of my career or so. And I really thought that I was senior. Like after all that experience, yeah. I felt like I really got it. And, sure. uh, then I went to Amazon and realized I was so not, um, started to work with other designers for the first time. And you're just going like, Oh my God. Uh, these people are so, so smart and like have so much mm-hmm. process that I'd never developed cause I had been working alone. Um, yeah. so I think like for, you know, folks that are kind of starting out in design and stuff, what we're looking for is, yeah, resilience is really important being able to kind of like, you know, push forward through things you don't know, um, push mm-hmm. thing, push forward through things that aren't going so well because you don't know how to do them yet. Uh, or because, you know, you do them poorly. Uh, that's, that has to be there curiosity is a huge deal i was talking to a designer the other day and i i was asking uh i was asking her like you know well how do you she works alone i was like well how do you like get better at stuff like how do you you know what are you doing to like learn what you don't know and she's like i fall she started like just listing all these like blogs she follows and all these books she's read that's awesome right it's like it's like this drive Mm -hmm. and momentum that like even if she doesn't work at BuzzFeed or even if she, you know, even if she doesn't work anywhere with more designers, like she's going to like, she is pushing, going to push herself into that place because she's curious and she wants to know more and she knows what she doesn't know. That feels really important. Well, I wanted to ask you a question about the, about the resilience. How, how do you actually like, as a, you know, prospective designer, I guess, as a young designer, I keep on using the term, That's fine. Uh, as, as a beginner designer, how would I go about you know, expressing resilience. How do you, how can you uh, evaluate that, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I ask a lot of questions that are, uh, 
that require examples. So like give an example of when you were resilient. Well, I mean, I wouldn't ask like that, right? It would be give me an example of a time that you disagreed with your product manager and like strongly disagreed. And then what happened? Right. Like, Mm, and then they tell the story because everybody's got that story, everyone. Right. And Mm -hmm. then you get to the end of it and they're like, yeah. And so, you know, we really disagreed and I thought it should be this way and they thought it should be this way. And we wound up doing this, this thing. And I was like, well, okay, cool. So like talk more about how you got there. Right. Like what happened? Like, was the, what was the conversation like? Like, you know what I mean? Like how many times you go back and forth? Like, did you feel okay? Did you feel good about the result? Uh, If so, great. If not, why not? Um, And so it's just like, um, it's like peeling the onion a little bit on people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing we do is when we do bring people, people in for an interview in, in the office, uh, we do as part of that, some white, some like design whiteboarding and, Mm -hmm. Typically what I try to do is, you know, you give that, you give people something, you know, vague enough so they can kind of like start to play around with it and then begin to add constraints or more things to do like as it's happening. So Mm -hmm. to see how people are able to pivot and think, you know, so it's like, all right, so we've done this now. What would happen if we learned, like, what would you do if we like did this or did some research and we learned this thing? Right, that like sure, like it, it has to work on a screen reader. Sure, right, right, or like, like it that. contradicts, or what we've learned has contradicted what you've done here, right? Mm-hmm. So like, what what would happen, right? Or you know, hey, we just got a call from the you know people that we're doing this with, and they actually said that they messed up and that these are the new constraints, right? Like no one really ever like crumbles at this point, right? But the ability to mm-hmm. kind of like really easily pivot on that and just be like, okay, great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like it's just another iteration at that point. Right. right. Because, the, you know, you're looking in the in that first question and even in the whiteboarding thing, like we're looking for folks who can like, because there are going to be disagreements, right? Mm-hmm. There are going to be hard conversations with your team, with your team and other teams. I want folks on the team that can manage and navigate those conversations more than I think mm-hmm. I want folks who are like, extremely polished designers yeah i mean i think i mean i think like i could teach someone html and css right like if we paired somebody with a really strong ux designer they can learn ux design and if they have some taste like which is usually pretty apparent from the portfolio at all like they're going to get better at visual design like those things are all like either teachable or pretty apparent Mm -hmm. i think the hardest thing in hiring is really finding folks even junior people who are able to like easily navigate conversations know what they don't know admit what they don't know and then like in the face of adversity you know continue just to like yeah go. like what happens under the stress yeah because it is stressful it's yeah. like it can be really stressful sometimes those two things that i ask those people are the same are the true for every level um that yeah we hire for it's and, and that was going to be my next question is like w- once somebody is a junior designer because there's plenty of those listening to the show too how can they feasibly you know develop the skills necessary to go from junior to say a managing designer yeah i mean it's I mean, a lot of it's experience, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, years, the number of years. It's, well, it's not number. It's it's more like, what are the experiences you've had and how have you handled those experiences? I mean, at that point, if you're at BuzzFeed, we've had firsthand knowledge of that. You know, like, I mean, the, the entire time, start to, like, identify strengths and weaknesses, starting, you know, to help people, you know, maximize their strengths and kind of, like, put them in positions where their weaknesses don't matter so much. You know, if you're not great at front-end development, like, you're going to, actually working at BuzzFeed, you're going to get better. Right. I mean, like, it's just yeah. like, it's just how it's going to be, right? Because there's no escaping that we're going to be doing that. So, you know, as long as you come in ready to go, like, and learn some stuff, we're going to do it. You know, if you're like, 
not strong at UX, like we're probably going to throw some stuff at you that's UX stuff. And we're going to pair you with people who are good at that. And you're going to learn some things. Uh, I mean, like typically my experience is like no one stays in the junior role more than like a year, like a year and a half, maybe because that, that role is actually mostly about hard skills. And we can, I mean, if we're not teaching you that fast enough, that's a problem for us, not for, not for the person. So it's a learning position basically like a second level internship almost i mean yeah kind of and then like the product design level is like once we get into like that kind of like mid-level thing it's it starts to become more about you know like a really like articulated process that you can repeat uh Mm -hmm. and get good results out of right and then like from senior and up you start to see more of like soft skills emerge where Mm -hmm. even for non-managers like becoming a leader on the team and being able to mentor other designers and make other people around you better just because you're there, you know, is yeah. like is extremely important. And some of those folks are so good at that and they like it so much they become managers, right? And then other mm, folks yeah. like really don't want to have one on ones and deal with you know, balance sheets. Personal and, issues and or or even just like those the you know, stupid stuff like uh, budgets. And like like some people just don't care about that, but they really enjoy like helping designers do better work and they really enjoy doing the work and like that's great Mm -hmm. and we're going to provide that path yeah i mean that's kind of how it happens it's it moves from like hard skills to kind of like some hard and soft stuff around like process articulation and then basically more and more into soft skills as you like become better what you're doing and eventually you aren't designing at all if you're the vp (laughs) yeah if if that sounds great then uh yeah let's let's do that (laughs) you know climb climb on up right exactly uh that's great yeah yeah by the way, I I really enjoyed the uh, the lie that you tell new hires. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to ruin the surprise for anyone who's listening because I think, uh, well, first of all, time constraints at this point. But uh, go and read it. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's really one of one of the better kind of, especially for managers who are listening to this. And if you are cultivating a team and you're trying to cultivate you know new practices, especially on your team, that's a really good read. Uh, I thought that was that was clever and really good. <laughs> Thanks. Good insight. Thanks. Uh, so another shift sure. in terms of uh, topic here. Um, how much of the CSS architecture are you are you personally actually responsible for? You know that actually gets shipped to the front end of BuzzFeed. In March of this year, I started to kind of play around with writing a CSS framework for BuzzFeed. It didn't have one at all before that. Not comprehensive. Um, okay. and there was like, there was a lot of old code on the site. There were a couple of front end developers, like trying to refactor every single page. It was, it was just like, there was no framework to build that on top of. Mm-hmm. I started to play around with it on a train one day, uh, pinged one of the other designers, a senior designer at Buzzfeed, who is actually like one of the strongest front ends, uh, we have. And she and I started to kind of like toss this code back and forth in a GitHub repo, uh, started adding to it, you know, trying to figure out what we need, would need, what we wouldn't need. Uh, kind of the approach we wanted to take and uh, started to pull in more people as we started to realize this might be really useful and powerful. And so by a couple months in, we had, I want to say, two or three more designers contributing to it. And we had a regular meeting every week about it uh, to check in on it and like assign cards and stuff and starting to like actually make it a project. And then a couple front end developers that were helping kind of, um, they were kind of advising on the project because they were, these were the people that were like actually trying to like refactor every template and so they were kind they were obviously extremely interested in what we were doing that was in march at this point we've like released 1.0 internally uh it's being used in a like a ton of internal projects like almost every internal project now is like on this framework we're technically at 
five right now and I'm, we're developing dot six. Um, nice. Yeah, it feels good. And like this week we're going into production, production with it, just the CSS, like to make it available. So people working on projects on the web app can use it. Like the entire web app won't be like converted over or anything, but like, but it won't look, it won't look any different. From what like, you said, it's really light, right? Like it's, you said it was eight K. Yeah, it's eight kilobytes gzipped. Um, so basically what we've done is like, if you're familiar with like Brent Jackson uh, and base CSS, we took that almost that exact concept. Actually, Brent worked. I hired Brent at Etsy. <laughs> Very <laughs> which nice. Funny, uh, which is actually how I know about this at all. But uh, we took all those concepts and kind of like did our version of that. And the idea is it's like atomic CSS. So essentially, we re- rewrote all of CSS as class names. So float left, you know, is a class name, and display block is a class name. Uh, and so mm. what you wind up with is not a lot of CSS. But you can basically, in HTML, build and style anything, uh, which is pretty rad. Yeah, we've been building that for the last, what are we now, like, is that like five months, four months? I have probably contributed, at this point, 50% or so of the code. Um, wow. Code yeah. and code deletions. <laughs> I looked at my stats the other day, and I've deleted twice as much code as I've added. I feel pretty good about that. That's that's the mark of a great develop. The best code you write is the negative lines that you put into your GitHub repo. Yeah. So I like, and actually, I spent the last couple of weeks. We're starting to gear up to like put the documentation online and put the CSS online for people. I'm not sure if we're going to open source it or not. Something we've talked about, but there's a lot like of of course like responsibility there. So we're trying to figure out sure. how we're going to handle yeah. that if we're going to do it. But in lieu of like the documentation going online, like I was like, okay, well, it's been cool internally because we all knew what we meant. yeah someone should rewrite this and so uh so i started to kind of go i've gone through every single page i completely rewritten it from scratch which was hilarious because i uncovered a bunch of bugs in the css as a result of rewriting the documentation (laughs) in the process yeah exactly um which is pretty magical so go out and rewrite your documentation you'll find a lot of stuff so that's done and now we're just uh kind of doing some last minutes i'm like doing some cleanup on like our navigation system for the documentation and stuff do you guys use like a pre-processed, pre, pre-processed language? Yeah, so we're using or? SAS. Um, okay. SAS or SCSS? We're using SCSS files, but I think the uh, the uh, syntax is SAS. I'm pretty sure. So is it? Well, so it's either the bracketed one or the one with the indents. Does does it look like regular CSS sort of? Uh, it can. I mean, we're writing like functions and mixins, <laughs> obviously, and like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fewer and fewer people are writing the SAS proper. In fact, there's a lot of people that don't even use it at all um, right. or don't even know about it. It's it's a totally different syntax and it it's not interoperable with regular CSS. So you can't drop you know right. your CSS blocks into SAS and expect it to work right. because white space is actually regarded in SAS. Yeah, I've always been confused about that because like our front-end developers, I've had this exact argument before or this discussion before mm-hmm. and like, and I go back to BuzzFeed and I'm like, you guys, we're, like, we're using SAS, right? And they're like, yes. But we're actually, those files still have CSS in them and they're still SCSS files. So I'm not really sure what like, the mm-hmm. distinction is because like, we're definitely using SAS syntax. Yeah. Well, and they have, the, basically it's the, the, pre, the processor is the same, right? So the output would be the same. Uh, it's just the input, right? So like the at syntax and all those mix-ins and stuff that you use, that's the same stuff as... SAS proper or whatever, sure, sure. but you just add the brackets so that white space is not the deal, you know. And you can also you put back in uh, the semicolons and colons 
So you're, that's the way you're separating your stuff. And in, in SAS, like the, the white space version, it's not that way. Right. Got it. It's kind of weird. Uh, I, I, I don't like SAS actually personally, the, the, <laughs> the SAS proper. Sure. I, I love SCSS now. I feel like that's the only way to go. I don't really understand how you would ever, why you would ever the do the way. other. Like, yeah. I just yeah. Feel like that's a really great way to learn something that is not a standard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one of the things that I respect about uh, CoffeeScript, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar, but you can write regular JavaScript in a CoffeeScript file and it will work. So you can move like one piece at a time over and change the syntax to the more CoffeeScript-esque version of it, right? And the same thing is true for for SCSS or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so we're, something. something, yes. So yeah, we're using that. I mean, like we're using it I feel like responsibly. Uh, I know people have mixed feelings about this stuff. The way I think we've approached it, I don't know if anybody's ever articulated this. They may all think I'm crazy, but like the way I think we've approached it is more of like a a way of just not repeating ourselves. We only, you know what I mean? We only would make a function or a mixin when we know what the output is already because we've written it. And it's and it's just like, okay, well, this will be a pain if we ever want to change it because we might. So let's like wrap this in a mixing because we know exactly how much CSS it is because we've already written it. You know what I mean? It's like we're mm-hmm. not try- we're not yep. writing it blind. We're writing it like basically after we we write the vanilla CSS version most times and then realize that we can like kind of like wrap it up a little bit nicer um, for yeah, ourselves. Yeah, make it look a little better. Yeah, and also just like there have been so many. I mean, there have been a couple times actually where we've wanted to change like a spacing variable and want it to change everywhere, right, in the CSS. And so being able to change that in one single place is like so nice and not trying to search for the value because mm-hmm. that value because we're all it's all in rems and so like that value could be on things that are not spaces you know that are not spacing things and so so you have to look at every single one right as opposed to being like oh this space variable which we know we haven't used on anything that's not a spacing thing like is we could just change it and it'll be fine and then there are times where we don't use any variables to declare the exact same value because the value is not the thing that's important Right, the the value isn't the important thing. It's actually like the context it's in, um, and so we're using it that way. And I feel like that's been actually really successful for us. And like again, like hasn't led to a ton of code bloat or anything, which I feel pretty good about. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, yeah. So like it's I've written about fifty percent. I think like uh, we've had five designers contribute to it, and I mean the vast. I mean like ninety eight percent of it's been written by designers at this point, um, wow. which is pretty yeah. rad. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't think anybody saw that coming. <laughs> so go in and give all of your designers a little badge, find like a sticker or something that says, congratulations, <laughs> you're now a front end developer. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting, actually. One of the So there was that one designer, like I said, who was like pretty proficient already. And then there was another designer who, I might be wrong about this, but I don't, she, I don't think she had ever written a line of CSS. Like maybe she'd done a little bit, but she had never like like done it in production, never like done it to prototype, nothing. She, she basically was coming from, like, essentially zero. And she has, like, turned into the biggest contributor to this thing. Like, she is such, like, she's so deep in it. She knows how to write CSS really well now. She's, like, teaching other people, like, how to do this stuff. She's having opinions on how to write, like, you know, on code, like, pull requests and stuff. It's been really magical to see that happen with folks who have worked on this project, like, who maybe didn't have that background. And then, like, through the project, basically learned how to do it and became huge advocates for it. And now she's like, there are times she's completely skipping 
even going into Sketch or Photoshop so she can like, because she's going to prototype with this framework that she helped build. Sure. You know, and it's like, it's really, I, I walked over to her desk the other day and I was like, wait, what is this? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just writing the, you know, I'm writing this prototype, whatever. And I was like, oh my God. Because like, it's like <laughs> never happened before. You know, it's like, it's so, so cool. It's really interesting because that stuff can translate. You can hand that off to a developer. I mean, especially and, with the framework, right? Because what's really cool yeah. is like, if we prototype it, even not in the actual code base, although sometimes we're doing that, like, because this framework is class-based, like, and because the framework is already in the web app, all that has to happen essentially is the developer, like we give them the front end, the HTML and they can like literally copy and paste it and it will, and it will just look correct and they don't have to deal with any CSS. There's no garbage like at all. And so it's actually pretty powerful. The developers I've talked to who've used it so far are so grateful to not have to do that part anymore. <laughs> they're all, like, I, I've been told that a couple of times. They're like, I really am so glad I get to do the fun part of my job, which is like wire this thing up, like make it work to an API and do the models. Yeah, they get to do stuff. all the fun stuff that they like to do. And they're like, you know, I really always dreaded the CSS. Like I didn't want to, it's not that I wasn't good at it, I just didn't want to do it. Like, I didn't, they right. Yeah. I totally, Implementation totally get that. details for them. Super get that, right? I don't want to be responsible for writing, you know, backend architecture. So, you know, <laughs> we're even, we're square. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Uh, and so it's been pretty, pretty, pretty cool to see that happen. Well, it's, that's interesting you bring up the backend architecture thing, because I was going to say, we, we actually have experimented with this uh, at the company that I work for. And um, we, have, uh, we have designers that will jump in and, you know, build out a WordPress project or something. And every once in a while, we realize, oh, wait a second, like we've thrown too much at this particular person. <laughs> you know, good. like they, they can go up to a certain point and then it's like full on stop, you know, and, and there's, there's no progress after that point because, you know, that's totally out of their wheelhouse. They were never, you know, we didn't never, we didn't never even intend for them to have to do those things, but the the project requirements had shifted enough, and we didn't, you know, we didn't plan for the development team to be holding onto that project at the time. Totally, it's a very interesting problem to try to solve. I'd rather, but I'd rather be solving that. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's like, a, I'd rather solve those kinds of problems. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather hit a full stop because we tried too much. You know, because like we we let people extend beyond themselves and try things they've never tried before. You know, what I mean? this just feels like it's such a much better problem than like. Oh well, this person's frustrated because they can't try things. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, sending twenty emails back and forth trying to figure out who's right. Yeah, I mean, like actually, so the residency thing, we have a uh, someone on our product support team who wants to do a residency with the ops team, and I heard that today, and I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that mean? And <laughs> like, they talked to the ops team, and the folks on that team were like, Yeah, no, totally. We'll like, we'll each of us will peel out, peel off this much time each day, and like, we'll help this person. I do whatever they're going to do. It's kind of crazy. Like, it's kind of awesome. Like that, like, where does that happen? Who does that? You know, sure. Like, you know what I mean? I like people, people again, who feel safe in failing. Right. Well, and, they, and then you have like, it's not even just that. You, like if, if we just put this person on that team with zero support, like you could say that you could say like, yeah, sure. Totally. You could do this team for six weeks. And then like, if the team didn't, wasn't like generous, right. With their time, and their expertise, like it would be a huge failure, and that person would probably still be really frustrated. And that comes back to hiring, oh, hiring totally people does. who are who are going to be doing that properly. Yeah. Like, how can you just like increase the generosity of your team? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really hard problem. Yeah. It's it's very like it's a very person to person thing. Yeah. Like, do you ask that question up front and be like, "Hey, so are you a generous?" That's a tough one, and it's it's more cultural, I think, than anything else. Like, it's like 
even if you come from a place where it wasn't like that, it is extremely possible to, you know, to create a culture where it is it's just an infectious thing. You're right. It's like, it's just like, oh, wow, that ha- like it happened. You're watching it happen to other people. And if we all celebrate that publicly, that it's happening and how amazing and you'll that, do it too. You know what I mean? You'll be like, well, that is really cool. Right. Like, I mean, like, Unless you have zero heart whatsoever, it's really cool. <laughs> like, well, we we tend to follow the things that our friends do, right? Like it, there was a stat that came out recently that said if you you have a much higher, it's some crazy number percentage chance of being obese if your best friends are obese, right? Like, and and the flip flop is true. If if your best friends are fit, then you have a much higher chance of being you know fit, and that's a weird like reality for the workplace is if you act in certain ways at the at work especially if you're in a position of leadership oh, right yeah. like if i am being generous with my teammates and we show appreciation to the people who are who are who we're leading or who are managing or whatever then they will in turn show appreciation to those around them very often yeah i also think i always feel bad when we talk about that as like a leadership thing i think because like i think what happens is people think it's a tactic or well, something. No, I no, I think like it's I think it can be discouraging to folks who are not in a management position. I think like it's like, oh well, I'm not in a management position. I'm on this team in a company that doesn't quite have that culture. I mean, there's people listening right now who are thinking this, right? And they're like, Oh, and there's nothing I can do about it because like they're saying, like like of course, like Cap's the VP of design. Like of course he can like do whatever he wants, right? Like of course he can make that however he wants it to be. Right? But like the trick is I think like leadership it's not is not like a role there's no title that says like leadership Mm -hmm. on it forget the whole culture of the whole organization forget that right like if you're on a team of five people it doesn't matter if you're a junior designer it doesn't matter if you're a mid-level engineer or like new or whatever you can impact that change locally you know there's a it it can definitely happen from a bottom-up in a bottom-up way Right. Oh, and I, yeah. I hate the term bottom. It drives me crazy. But like, <laughs> but like, it, like, that's how these folks feel, right? They feel like they're at the bottom. It can definitely happen in a local level. There are some teams that I've seen, that like companies I've worked at or whatever, they're just functioning better. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like five people that just together are just like crushing it and doing so much good work. And everyone around them is just like, how the hell is that happening? The fact is that like the culture in total obviously isn't that, whatever that team is doing, right? Because that's why everybody's asking themselves, like, what the hell is this? But, like, because that happened locally, it's actually starting to impact the teams around them because they're all asking themselves, like, and each other, like, how is this possible? Like, what's, like, they seem so happy. They seem to be pushing code so fast. Like, the work they're doing is so great. Like, what is happening? Is a bunch of senior people? No. Right? Is it, like, like what is happening in that team that makes it so successful? then you will start to have emulation, right? You'll start to have questions being asked. And like, these are good things that can impact, it can wind up actually impacting the entire culture. Yeah, that's so true. So I think it's hard because like when you're in that position, you're like, well, we like I'm in this position and I need to change the whole culture and I can't do that. But like, you don't actually have to do that, right? You can like really just focus on your relationships, right? Like can, how can you make as a designer, how can you make the engineers feel really good and like collaborative and like brought into the process as an engineer how can you like teach the designer stuff they don't know about how the code works like if you're a product person how can you include everybody in the product roadmapping process on your team and then like that's enough do you know like like, that's enough to really like yeah because it has it has a a cascading effect throughout the rest of the people that they interact well and even if it doesn't like at least you're on a team that's awesome you know like sure you know you you affected your yeah you wind up in a place that like 
is better for you anyway. And like, and then if coincidentally, which I think it could like impact other people, like that's even more magical. Right. And that's really great. And so I don't like, I think people looking to like managers to like do this stuff are like, they're missing an opportunity, I think. And like, and if you wait, you're going to be waiting for a long time, particularly in some cases. Right. Yeah. Just like, screw that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, our, our brains don't respect the, the boundaries that are imposed by an organization necessarily. Like we respond to personal interaction with people and our brains perceive people as people, right? Like it doesn't matter what your title is or where you sit in an organizational structure, that thing was imposed on on you. So when you're interacting with another person, you have just as much of a, of a ability to, I don't know, impact that situation as they do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's that's a powerful perspective, I think. And and one that especially for those people who feel like they're stuck in a really frustrating role or something like that. There are still things you can do. You're not powerless. Yeah, totally. By any means. In fact, quite the opposite. Yep. Awesome. Well, this is this has been really good. I, I like I do like to ask all of the people who come on this show uh, a couple of questions. The first one is if you could give every developer thirty seconds worth of advice, what would you tell them? Jeez, that we haven't covered in two hours. Uh let me think. <laughs> um just like forget ownership, man. Like it's not it's not worth it. You know, it's just like it, the more you hold on to the thing that you think is yours, like the like the worst, like the worst thing you're going to make. You know, I think like people like I think develop not just developers, but all, all of us like have a tendency to really latch on to the thing we're good at and really try to protect it because we think that's the right thing to do. And it's a super reasonable thing to do. Like it makes a lot of sense, but it's like counterintuitively not the best thing to do. Um, the more like, and we've talked a lot of this podcast about like, you know, designers advocating for design with engineers and with product folks. Uh, but the same should be true for engineers. Like you're great at what you do, like advocate for why it's great and why other people should know more about it. You know, I mean like at Etsy, they did lunch and learns every week uh, about something, mean, sometimes design stuff, but most of the time, very difficult engineering things that they were working on. Um, and designers went it was like an open place. The email went out to everybody. Be an advocate for your expertise and like share that with other people that are not not in your expertise. I think it's like it'll just give you more leeway and appreciation for uh, what you do. Um, so that's good. Yeah, I, I like to say a lot of the time that you know most of the other uh, practices in our organization other than development is at least in a translucent, if not a transparent box, right? So like I can sort of understand what sales does. I can sort of understand what designers are doing. You know, development quite often seems like they're in an opaque box. Yeah, it's a little, a little and, black box, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and there's some empowering aspects of that. There's a little bit of mystery to it. You know, there's this perspective that we're always hacking something or we're always you know, stealing people's passwords or <laughs> I don't know, whatever, whatever people think that developers do. But I think it's, I think that's an interesting, uh, improper perspective. And it is a powerful thing to bring things out of that box, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Because it, it helps, especially developers, to communicate more effectively with other people who previously didn't really know what they were doing. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's great. I think so. Lunch and learn. Yep. <laughs> Do do that. So do lunch. So and lunch. good. So and and the second question, and this is 
this can be, you know, even a personal response, but what is one topic or, you know, maybe one question that you wish more people would ask you so you could talk about it? (laughs) Do I really want that? Um, (laughs) Let's see. Um, I don't really feel that strongly about people asking me the right questions um because i feel like whatever they're asking me is the right thing sure maybe maybe topic though right like yes i don't i've never like it's not so much i wish people would ask me questions i wish that someone would talk about something um that that i don't that that i feel nervous about that i wish someone else would write a blog about um or something (laughs) uh which is this challenge that i'm having now which is managing managers it's really interesting actually because you know when you manage designers it's I, it's not, I don't want to say it's easy. It's not easy, but like it's easier because there's an artifact, I think. And there are clear moments of achievement where someone, you know, reached beyond themselves and did something they hadn't done before. And you can watch it happen. And like you're in the room when they lead a meeting about their design work, right? And that you can see them, their demeanor change over time and they become more confident or whatever, right? Um, or not be as dismissive of questions or like, concerns right you can kind of like you can watch these things happen and coach it and watch the change right like and then like it makes it really easy to see what's going on when you're managing managers like talk about a black box like it's really 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 (laughs) hard to know what's happening because the artifact of that is people first of all so that's a hard thing to unpack the second thing is like where it's happening are places i'm not so in a one-on-one I'm not there, obviously, right? Like <laughs> me, it'd be two on one. Um, so it's a one on one, and like I'm not there to see how that's going, right? And like I'm not gonna drop in. That's crazy, um, and it wouldn't be the same, right? Like it wouldn't be the same. Or in a meeting with their team, or in a critique with their team, right? Like I am not in those places. But that is where the work's happening that this person is doing, right? And this is where like things are going well or not going well. And then you can get general sense for how things are going, right? You can like talk to the designers and stuff, but it's still unclear to me how to help managers. Like I, I hope I'm doing a good job. I think I'm doing an okay job. <laughs> that That is a hard problem to solve and probably one that not many people have experience with. Right. Okay. I mean like there's I feel like there's a lot of people who have experience but I don't know that anybody's like writing about it. <laughs> you know like Yeah. Like yeah, like I couldn't speak to that right now. You know, I have like maybe a very limited amount of experience with that but on a extremely micro scale, you know. Like we could sit here and talk in hypotheticals yep. and, you know, <laughs> psychological maxims or whatever, but ultimately the experience is what is what would drive a writing session well what's interesting is like the for sure and i can speak to this from experience like a lot of the job is communication is like strong communication clear communication good communication and like when you have a designer and communication is really important for design too and when you're just hanging around and you hear a designer have a conversation about their work with someone else like you can kind of like you can be there and like hear it and then like talk to them about it later right be like hey that seemed frustrating how'd that go but you just can't there's no mechanism for that with managers and i don't like I, I don't know. This is my plea to anybody out there who knows anything about this. Um, I really... <laughs> Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to start writing <laughs> well, I, about it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start probably writing about it in some form or fashion, but it'll be more of my, like, I don't know what's going on writing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it'll be non-authoritative. <laughs> it'll be more like... <laughs> well, I think that's how the internet was built, wasn't it? That is probably true. <laughs> uh, that's how most blogs are, at least. I'm saying that I know something about this, but really I just experienced it for the first time. Right. This will be me just like putting the crying emoji over and over and over. (laughs) 
and every manager of managers will probably be like, yep, that's exactly yeah, that how, I how I feel. Yeah, yeah, he's right, right on. Yeah. <laughs> this guy knows a lot. This guy knows a lot about how it feels. <laughs> he's right. Spot on. As that's always, right. Cap. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Cap. No, totally. It was and, great. Uh, I'm, I'm very certain that the developers who are listening also appreciate it. I put my email address online, but if anybody, you know, out there has more questions or like, uh, you know, wants to talk or whatever, let me know. It's just uh, cwatkins at gmail.com. There you go. And then, uh, of course, we'll include Cap's uh, blog and anything we mentioned in in this very long uh, <laughs> episode of Developer Tea in the show if notes. you made it this and, far, uh, uh, Jonathan's going to send you a uh, some stickers, I think. Yeah, so. sure. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, if if you in fact if you contact me, I will use some <laughs> shipping startup to send you a handful of stickers. Yeah, you use the promo code I made it this far. I made it this <laughs> far. Yeah. Just send me the promo right. code in an email. <laughs> That's right. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks, Cap. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, my interview with Cap Watkins. Again, of course, this was the second part, so if you didn't hear the first part, make sure you jump back and listen to that as well. If you have questions or comments that you would like for me to address on the show, or even if you just want to talk to me directly, you can always email me at developertea at gmail.com. There's also a Slack community that spec.fm has started. We have over a thousand designers and developers in there, so there's always good conversation going. You can join that Slack community by going to spec.fm slash Slack. Of course, that link, along with all the other links from this episode, can be found in the show notes at spec.fm. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Developer Tea, and until next time, enjoy your tea.